0: Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith as they're summarized in the Belgic Confession of Faith. Today, with the Lord's help, we will once again consider the subject of the church, specifically the believer's duty towards the church. In that connection, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, as we read the verses 37 to 47, hear God's holy word. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. At that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This ends the reading of the holy word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, everyone has duties. Employees have duties towards their employers, and employers have duties towards their employees. Students have duties towards their teachers, and teachers toward their students. Parents have duties toward their children, and children toward their parents. We all have duties. And that is also true for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We too have certain duties. We have a duty, certainly, towards God, to worship and serve Him and to live to His glory. We have a duty towards our neighbor, to love and care for our neighbor and seek for their well being. We also have a duty towards other believers, to help and encourage, admonish, and comfort them as the need and opportunity arises. Well, we also have duties towards the church. Now, last time we began a new section of the Belgic Confession on the subject of the Church. And we learned that the Church, at least in her ideal form, is, and I quote, a holy congregation of true Christian believers, all expecting their salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood, sanctified and sealed by the Holy Ghost. We also learned that this Church has three attributes. She is one, she is holy, and she is Catholic, or universal. We learn, too, that this church is under attack, but that she will also be preserved until the Lord Jesus comes again. Well, now we come to Lord's Day, or rather, Article 28. And in this article, we learn what is the duty of the believer towards the church. And it's to this subject that we turn our attention with God's help. So my theme is the believer's duty towards the church. And we'll see, first of all, that the believer's duty is to join the church. Secondly, it is to submit to the doctrine and discipline of the church. And thirdly, it is to contribute to the life of the church. So the first and primary duty of every believer towards the church is to join it. That's exactly what we confess in the very first sentence of this article. And I quote, We believe, since this holy congregation is an assembly of those who are saved, and out of it there is no salvation, that no person of whatsoever state or condition he may be ought to withdraw himself to live in a separate state from it, but that all men are in duty bound to join and unite themselves with it, maintaining the unity of the church." So we confess here that everyone who professes to be a Christian is to attach himself to the church of Jesus Christ. And two reasons are given for this. First of all, it says here, this holy congregation is an assembly of those who are saved. Now, that doesn't mean that every member of the church is saved. That would not be biblical. The Bible teaches that there will always be wheat and chaff in the field. There will always be good fish and bad fish in the net. There will always be fruitful branches and unfruitful branches in the vine. Our confession here, rather, is speaking of the church in her ideal form. Ideally, the church is what we confess here. She is an assembly of those who are saved. And since that is so, every true believer, every professing believer, must join themselves To the church. They are not to be content to worship at home or in nature. They must attach themselves to the church, to the company of God's people. Why is that? Well, because that is where other believers are to be found. Just as a soldier must be attached to his regiment, so a Christian must be attached to the church of Christ. But a second reason why Christians are to attach themselves to the church is this. And again, I quote our confession. Because outside of the church, there is no salvation. Now, the reference here is not to a specific denomination, much less congregation. The reference here is to the church in general. There is no salvation outside the church of Jesus Christ. Now, by that, we do not mean that one cannot be saved outside the church or that one cannot be saved if he is not a member of a church, much less a particular denomination. That's actually the teaching of the Church of Rome, but it is not biblical. The thief on the cross was not saved in a church, nor did he ever become a member of a church, at least not a visible church. And yet Jesus said he would be with him in paradise. So what do we mean by this phrase, outside of the church there is no salvation? We mean simply this, that the usual place where God is pleased to save sinners and to cause his people to grow in grace is the church. If I want to buy an ice cream cone, I won't go to a shoe store. And if I want to buy shoes, I'm not going to go to the ice cream shop. I will go to the place that sells ice cream or shoes. And so it is when it comes to salvation. If I want to know how I can be saved and how I ought to live once I am saved, I will not stay at home and meditate or take a walk in nature or go shopping at the shopping mall. I will go to the place where this is explained and taught. And that is the church. But that may raise the question in our minds, which church? Because there are so many churches today. So which church should I join? Well, that question is answered more fully in the next article, in Article 29, which describes the marks of the true and the false church. And we hope to get to that next week, God willing. But suffice it to say that not any church will do. Just because a group of people is called a church doesn't mean it's a church that's worthy to be joined. The church we must join must be a true church, as identified and defined by Scripture. In other words, it must faithfully preach the Word of God, it must administer the sacraments according to the Word of God, and it must exercise Christian discipline according to the Word of God. Any church that doesn't do at least these basic things is not a true church. But if there is a church that manifests these three marks, however imperfectly, then we have a solemn duty. If we claim to be Christians, we have a solemn duty to attach ourselves to it. Now, to reinforce this, our Belgian Confession goes on to state, and I quote, that it is the duty of all believers, according to the word of God, to separate themselves from those who do not belong to the church and to join themselves to this congregation, wheresoever God has established it, even though the magistrates and edicts of princes be against it, yes, though they should suffer death or any other corporal punishment. Therefore, all those who separate themselves from the same or do not join themselves to it act contrary to the ordinance of God. End quote. So here we confess that the duty to join the church is so vitally important that we must be prepared to leave the church where we are currently a member if that church has become a false church. And we must even be prepared to suffer persecution, even death itself, as a result. And to fail to do that is, according to this article, to act contrary to the ordinance of God. Now... At first glance, the language of this article seems to be rather strong, and that's because of the context in which it was written. During the time that the Belgian Confession was written, there were many people in Europe, especially in the Netherlands, who were sitting on the fence, so to speak. Privately, they agreed that the Protestant faith was the true faith, and that the Reformed Church was the true church, but they continued worshipping in the Roman Catholic Church because they were afraid of the consequences if they left. They were afraid of being ostracized by their friends and neighbors. And more importantly, they were afraid of being arrested or even killed by the governing authorities. So in a sense, this article is something of a rallying call. It serves to challenge so-called closet Protestants to stand up and be counted. And My friends, some of us may need to hear that challenge still today. And that's because still today, there are many professing Christians who refuse to become a member of a local church or in some cases are content to worship at home, particularly now during this pandemic. And the reasons for this vary. Some do not feel comfortable with certain practices or policies or even with certain people in a local church. Some cannot bring themselves to join a church they were not raised in. Some are afraid that they have been hurt in the past and they're afraid of being hurt again. Some are unwilling to get involved. They understand that church membership implies certain responsibilities and they're unwilling to make that commitment. Some question whether the idea of church membership is even necessary. They say it doesn't matter whether you are a member of a local church. What matters is whether you are a member of the invisible church. That is, whether you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are trusting in him as your only hope and ground of salvation. Well, over and against all of these reasons, our confession says no. All professing Christians are duty-bound to join themselves to a local church that is faithful to the word of God. The great church father Augustine said, He cannot have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. Expanding on that, the great Swiss reformer John Calvin said this, He said, there is no other way to enter into life unless this mother, he's talking about the church now, conceive us in her womb, give us birth, nourish us at her breast, and lastly, unless she keep us under care and guidance until putting off mortal flesh, we become like the angels. God's fatherly favor and the special witness of spiritual life are limited to his flock so that it is always disastrous to leave the church. Elsewhere, Calvin writes this, he says, The Lord esteems the communion of his church so highly that he counts as a traitor and apostate from Christianity anyone who arrogantly leaves any Christian society, provided it cherishes the true ministry of word and sacraments. Point is, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you must be a member of a local church. And if you're not, if you're content to so-called worship at home, then you are out of sync with the will of God. Now, where do we find this in the scriptures? Well, we find it in many places, but let me just limit myself to Acts chapter 2, 41-47, which we read earlier. Peter had just preached his famous sermon on the day of Pentecost, and the effect was profound. We read about that in verse 41 and following. It says there, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And all that believed were together, and had all things common. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So you'll notice that after their conversion to Christianity, the early New Testament believers did not go their separate ways. Rather, they joined together into one identifiable communion or fellowship called the church. Nor was this a temporary arrangement, for verse 42 says that they continued steadfastly in these things, meaning they didn't just meet together for a brief period of time and then go their separate ways. They did so over and over and over again. And So the scriptures are clear. It is God's will that his people join themselves to a local church. In fact, you cannot claim to be a true believer without being a member of of a local church, if there is a faithful church in your area. And so the first obligation of every believer towards the church is to join it. But there's more, because it's not enough simply to join the church. We must also submit to the doctrine and discipline of the church. And that brings us to our second point. After declaring that every believer must join the church, our confession goes on to say That every believer must also, and I quote, submit themselves to the doctrine and discipline thereof, bowing their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ. Now, a yoke is a piece of wood that is placed over the necks of two animals, which is then attached to a wagon or a plow. And the yoke ensures that both animals pull at the same time and with equal force. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ also has a yoke. And he expects believers, his people, to take this yoke upon themselves. He says as much in Matthew 11, verses 29 and 30. There Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, what is this yoke? Well, this is simply a metaphor for the duties and responsibilities of following Christ. These duties and responsibilities are like a yoke, except that the yoke that believers carry is easy, and the burden that they must pull is light. And the reason for that is because Christ bears it and pulls it with them. Now, there are many such duties and responsibilities, but our confession limits itself to two. First of all, we must submit to the doctrine of, of the church. Now in Reformed churches like mine, this doctrine is summarized in our confessions. In the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession, and the Canons of Dort, which collectively we call the three forms of unity. Now if your church doesn't have confessions, then it's summarized in your church's statement of faith, which every church has. The point is, when we're members of the church, we cannot believe whatever we like to believe. We must believe certain things. We must affirm what we confess in our confessions, and we must confess that that is an accurate summary of what the Word of God teaches. So we need to submit to the doctrines which the church believes is according to Scripture. At the same time, we must not oppose the teachings of the church or seek to undermine the teachings of the church by introducing or promoting ideas that are clearly in conflict with our confessions, and sometimes that happens. Someone doesn't agree with the church's particular teaching and a particular point, and they spend all of their time trying to convince others of the correctness of their views, thereby creating dissension and division within the church. And even though it is clearly in conflict with what we confess and what they themselves vowed to uphold when they became members. Now, this is forbidden by this article. Now, all of this assumes, of course, that we know what the doctrine of the church is, and hence the need for study. As members of the church, we need to study the Bible. And that means attending the worship services faithfully and listening attentively as your pastor explains the Word of God. It means attending Bible studies and perhaps the odd conference here and there. It means reading good, sound books that will deepen your knowledge and understanding of God's Word. It means familiarizing yourself with the historic confessions of the church, including the confession featured in this series, the Belgic Confession of Faith. It means ministers must preach doctrine, in some cases far more than they do. Sometimes people complain about doctrinal preaching. They say it's boring or it doesn't feed their soul. But my friends, doctrine is essential for the church. If we don't know our doctrine, we'll be led astray by all kinds of error. So let's never complain about doctrinal preaching or learning about doctrine. Without it, the church will cease to be the church. So we are to submit to the doctrine of the church. But secondly, it says here, we are to submit ourselves to the discipline of the church. Now That means when the office bearers, or members of the church for that matter, on the basis of the word of God, admonish us for something in our lives or something in our doctrine that is clearly contrary to the will of God, we need to listen and we need to repent. Or when they place us under discipline, because we pay no heed to their admonishments. We, we shouldn't just withdraw our membership or allow the process to drag on unnecessarily by stubbornly refusing to repent and do what the word of God requires. Submitting ourselves to the discipline of the church means exactly that. It means being receptive to admonishment and doing whatever is required to maintain our good standing in the church. Which, by the way, is something we promised to do when we became members of that church. Now, I know that that's not always easy. In fact, sometimes it's very difficult, but it's something we have promised to do, and therefore we must do as a member of the church. Why? Because it's good for us. The Lord has appointed office bearers, pastors, and elders in particular, and has given them the key of discipline for our spiritual well being. And they are to use that key whenever we go astray. Now, sadly, too often in the church, that's not how it's perceived. Too often, In the church, discipline is perceived as a form of coercion or even punishment, but nothing could be further from the truth. It is the Lord, through the office bearers, reaching out in love and concern for us, calling us back to the path of righteousness that leads to everlasting life. And so let's never despise church discipline. But rather, when it is exercised, let us respond to it appropriately as befits the followers of Christ. Well, not only are we to submit, but we must also contribute. And that brings me to my third and final point. Our confession says that believers are to serve the edification of the brethren according to the talents God has given us. So we confess here that God has given to every member of the church certain talents. Now, some have the gift of leading and teaching. Some have the gift of hospitality. Some are good with their hands and can fix things and build things. Some have many gifts, others have only one or two gifts, but everyone has at least one gift. And our confession of the Word of God teaches that whatever gift we have, we are to use it to serve the edification of the other members of the church. That means if you have the gift of teaching, you need to serve the church by teaching a Sunday school or a catechism class or an adult education class. If you have the gift of leading, you can serve the church as an elder. If you have the gift of showing compassion, you can serve as a deacon. If you have the gift of hospitality, you can serve the church by taking in guests who visit the congregation, providing them with lodging and meals, or preparing meals for widowers and the sick. If you have the gift of visiting, you can serve the church by visiting the shut-ins and other elderly members of the congregation. If you're good at working with your hands, you can serve on the maintenance committee and contribute to maintaining the church building and the grounds surrounding the church. If you have the gift of music, you can serve the church by leading the congregation in worship. The point is every member of the congregation has a gift and the need to put it to good use for the well-being of the flock. Well, beloved, is that true for you? Are you doing that? In Lord's Day 21, question and answer 55 of the Heidelberg Catechism, the question is asked, what do you understand by the communion of saints? And the answer is this, that all and everyone who believes, being members of Christ, are in common partakers of him and of all his riches and gifts. Secondly, that everyone must know it to be his duty, readily and cheerfully to employ his gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. Well, my friends, what about you today? Are you readily and cheerfully employing your gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members? Or are you just a spectator, content to come to church, sit in your pew, go back home, and let everyone else do the work? You know, the church today is full of such spectators. There are many people in the church who are content to just sit back and let others do all the work. They don't lift a finger to help out with anything. But when something goes wrong or something happens that they don't like or they disagree with, they're usually the first ones to protest, and usually they do so very loudly. My friends, that is not right. No member of any church should just be a spectator. Every one of us should be busy doing something to build up the body of believers of which we are part. Well, I began this sermon by saying that we all have duties. We have duties towards our family our employers, our customers, our communities, our nation. We also have duties toward the church. We are to join the church. We're to submit to the teaching and discipline of the church. And we are to contribute our gifts and talents to the building up of the church. And I've called these duties, and they are. But the word duty can sometimes have a certain connotation. A duty is something we have to do, whether we want to do it or not. But dear believer, that should not be the case When it comes to the church of Christ. The truth is that serving the church is a great privilege. The church is after all the bride of Christ. And that means in serving the church we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And should we not want to serve him? Oh consider how much he's done for us. Consider how he suffered and died and rose again Consider how he is coming again to judge the living and the dead and that when he does, he will take us to live and reign with him forever. Is it not reasonable then that we serve him by serving his church? It's the least we can do. So let us not fulfill, let us not be negligent to fulfill our obligations and let us not do so merely out of a sense of duty, but out of love and joy and delight and thankfulness to the Lord for all that he has done for us. In Christ, for he is most worthy. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N. And that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. That's banneroftruth at frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. If you'd like to listen to the message you've just heard once more, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us, and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. That's www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us with the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.